Gracious God, you are holy, holy, holy. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. You alone are God. Indeed, God, as we come before you this morning, we we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is clean and pure. It endures forever. Lord, your, your word is righteous and true. Your, your word makes wise the simple, and we ask and pray, as we look at your word this morning, that you would make us wise. We who are simple, that you would make us wise. We thank you, precious Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would see, even as we are impure, he is pure. Now we see him who is clean and pure, who alone can come before you and cleanse us, cleanse us from all our sin. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Have a look with me at Matthew chapter 15. I'll be reading from verse 1. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honour his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowds to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. It has been well said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the heart, as the Bible describes it, is the very core of who we are as humans. Now, we're not, but when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the, the physical organ, the muscle which pumps blood around our body, but the mind, the will, and the affections which form the very soul and center of every single person. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Knowing the states of our heart before God 
is one of the most important things that we can do. For if our heart is not right before God, we will face judgment. If our heart is right with God, we are secure. Is our heart defiled before God? Is our heart unclean before God? Or is it pure and clean? In Psalm 24, which Ash read out for us before, there is one kind of person who can ascend the hill of the Lord. There is only one kind of person who can stand in God's holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is the qualification if you want to stand before God. Clean hands and a pure heart. What does this mean? That's what we are looking at this morning. That is what we are looking at in, in Matthew chapter 15. And in these chapters, as, uh, as, as I just read for us in, in, in verses 1 to 10, Jesus has been going around Galilee and he is approached by the, by the Pharisees and the scribes or the teachers and they come from Jerusalem, which is a four-day journey. They travelled a four-day journey. What for? To challenge Jesus, to pick at him, to challenge him. And what was their challenge? Was it moral? No. Was it spiritual? No. It was ceremonial. And not even something that God had commanded in his word. What was the challenge? Their challenge was this, that Jesus' disciples, and in fact Jesus himself, were breaking the traditions of the elders. What tradition? Well, elsewhere they'd come to Jesus as, if you remember a number of weeks ago, Nathan Barnes from Newtown, they came to, as he preached, they came to Jesus and said, why do you and your disciples not fast? It's not a fast that, 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 that God had proclaimed once a year, but it was the, the twice-a-week fast that the, the elders had added on for the people to do, and particularly themselves to do. But what is it here? Well, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, in Leviticus 22, verses 6 and 7, there was a washing of the whole body, not just the hands, and it was mandated for the priests when they were to come to the altar to offer sacrifices and before they were going to eat the holy food. In Leviticus 15, 11, people after a discharge were to wash their hands before touching others, although they were considered unclean. In Exodus 30, verses 19 and 20, Aaron and his sons were to wash their hands and feet with water before they were to come before the altar and the tent of meeting to offer sacrifices, or they would die. But it wasn't commanded by God for non-priests to do before they ate common food. It wasn't anywhere to be found in God's word. And yet the elders, the elders had added this tradition. They had added laws onto God's word. As you, as you notice, as we went from verses 1 to 10, they had, they had made void the word of God for the sake of their own traditions, for the sake of their own laws, which they had added on to God's word. And this washing of hands to eat is not just them trying to be clean and hygienic. It's not them trying to, be, to, to make sure that they don't have any bugs on their hands or anything like that or any dirt. No, it goes deeper than this. The Pharisees promoted the traditions of the elders at the expense of God's word. Thus, they honored the elders and obeyed them more than they obeyed God. Why is this? As we see as we will see, it's because they loved to obey the externals of religion whilst they neglected the heart. And this is everyone who is unregenerate. This is anyone who has not been born again of God. They will love to praise God with their lips, as it says in verse 8, while their hearts are far from him. 
we see this misguided, legalistic concern of the Pharisees in our passage today, verses 10 to 20. And in verse 10, you see that Jesus gathers the people to him. The Pharisees had just, had just misguided the people and, and, and promoted their legalistic concerns. And so Jesus, out of concern for the people, gathered them together in verse 10. And I've got two points here this morning. The first point is the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem. And the second point is the heart of the Pharisees. But let's have a look at the heart of the problem. And I'm going to be reading verses 10 to 11 and then back down in verses 17 to 20 at the end. Verse 10, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Go down to verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the thing that, things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Have a look at verse 10. Jesus says, listen and understand. Listen and understand. He's saying, pay attention. Elsewhere in the word he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said that at particular times, with particular messages that he taught, and everything that Jesus said we had to pay attention to. Everything is important. And yet there are some truths that Christ attached in that sense with even greater importance hear or listen and understand we must note these things down it is of particular importance verse 11 it is not what goes into the mouth that makes a man unclean but what comes out of his mouth that is what makes him unclean notice those two words there those two contrasting words in and out in and out it's not what goes in it's what comes out that's what matters in verses 1 to 9, as we saw, Jesus is condemned for not following the ceremonial hand-washing of the elders. And how does this tie in with our passage in verses 10 to 20? It's what goes in, sorry, what goes in comes from the outside, and what comes from outside is handled before it goes in. So what the Pharisees are focusing on, they're saying, you do not wash your hands according to our traditions. Therefore, what you eat is not clean because you've handled it with unclean hands. And when you eat it, therefore, you are unclean. Now, they're not talking about the actual dietary and food laws of the Old Testament. In Mark's account of this passage, he, he kind of adds it as a side comment, as an implication of what Jesus says. He says this, And thus he, Jesus declared all foods Clean. He adds it as an aside, but here Jesus is focusing not on these dietary laws given by God, but on the extra traditions of the elders. They said, you are unclean because you are handling the food with unclean hands and you are eating that food. What goes in is unclean. That is what they are saying. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says the complete opposite. He flips it on its head. Because those very laws, even the dietary laws of the Old Testament, those laws were not pointing to themselves. They always pointed to something greater than them. And that is the uncleanness of the heart. What does Jesus say? He says in verse 17, Jesus says, It passes into the stomach 
and goes out of the body. It passes into the stomach and is expelled. That's it. It's digested and it goes out of the body. That's it. The word defiled there means to make common or impure. Right? To be ceremonially unclean. What is Jesus saying? What does defile you is what comes out of your body from the heart. Verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What comes out of the heart? Firstly, we see words. Words come out of the heart. They come out of the mouth. In Luke 6, 45, we read this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good And the evil person out of the bad treasure or evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every heart is like a treasury, full of treasure, where prized possessions are hidden away. People don't tend to put their treasure on display. They tend to hide what's most valuable to them. And the thing is, our heart contains what is most core to us, what is most Uh, A part of us, our mind, our desires, our will, and it is hidden from the eyes of every person except God. Except God. God alone sees our heart. In Jeremiah 17, it says, I, Yahweh, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And I want you to notice there the connection again between the heart and the deeds, the heart and the fruit. Now, God is the only one who sees our heart. But to everyone else, they cannot see our treasury. What they see is what that treasure produces. The fruit that our hearts produce. So words. We have words out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. But we also have actions that come forth. And in verses 43 and 44 of Luke 6, which I just read out for you, just before that verse verse about the treasure of the heart, Jesus talks about good fruit and bad fruit. The good fruit and the bad fruit revealing the fundamental nature of our hearts. He says the bad tree must produce bad fruit. He says the good tree must produce good fruit. And in Matthew 7 he says you will recognize them by their fruits. You will recognize them by their fruits. J.C. Ryle says this. Let it be a settled principle in our religion that when a man brings forth no fruits of the spirit, he has not the Holy Spirit within him. One simple question must be our rule. What does a man bring forth? What fruit does a man bring forth? Does he repent? Does he believe with the heart on Jesus? Does he live a holy life? Does he overcome the world? Habits like these are what Scripture calls fruit. When the fruits are lacking, it is profane to talk of a man having the Spirit of God within him. When a man's general life is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Close quote. Now, we must always make sure that we look at our hearts first before we look at the hearts of others. We must look at our hearts deeper than we look at the hearts of others. And we must look at our hearts more frequently than we look at, the, than, than, than we look at others. And this should lead to a mourning first of our own sin, but also a joy and a recognizing of the work of grace that God has worked in our lives. We must not neglect to look at the work of grace God works in our lives. And then... As Jesus said, that is removing the log from our own eye. Then rightly we are able to discern others and the fruit that that, that they produce. What sin specifically does Jesus talk about here? Have a look with me at verse 19. For out of the heart 
Again, he's speaking of fruit here, and you'll notice that there are both words and there are deeds. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. First of these, evil thoughts. These are wicked thoughts about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, others. All wicked imaginations, fleshly reasoning, worldly thoughts are included in this. And in one sense we see here, this, all the others are, are outward fruit. This one here is inward. Thoughts, intentions of the heart. And all the sins that follow this flow out from this. Evil thoughts. Next, murder. Unjustly taking away someone's life. But as we know of Christ, it doesn't, it's, it's not just murder as the act. But where does it start? Anger and hatred in the heart. Impatience with others. Next, adultery. Sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. Where does it start? In a look. In a flirtatious comment. In a dissatisfaction with your spouse. In a lust of the flesh. Even once. It just has to start with once. And if not left, left, if left unchecked and not dealt with, it can grow like a, like a small seed grows, like a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. It starts in the heart. Sexual immorality is next. This is any sexual sin committed outside of what is proper in a monogamous heterosexual marriage. Sleeping with someone who is not your spouse. Homosexuality. Adulterous desires even. But even take homosexuality, where does it start? As with any adulterous thought, it's with the lustful desires of the flesh. Now there's been some contention about whether or not same-sex desires are in and of themselves sinful. But even as we see here, yes, the sinful act is sinful. But where does it start? It starts in the desires of the heart. But as with every other sinful desire, by God's grace, it can be killed. It can be put to death. Romans 1.27 talks about the desire of, homosexual, uh, of homosexuality, giving fruition to the act. But this word here, sexual immorality, doesn't just include homosexuality. It includes every other sexually immoral sin. And it starts in the heart, with the lusts of the flesh. The next word there is theft. And this is taking away from others. What is theirs by force or by fraud? What is the root? Covetousness, which is idolatry, selfish desires. Next, there is false witness, lying or speaking falsely against someone else to their hurt. What is the root? Selfish desires, selfish gain, envy, in fact, there are many heart sins, heart desires which come under this. And next is slander, speaking evil of God or of men. And this usually starts with pride. Pride exalts self. Pride exalts self and degrades others. We see here a list of sins that Jesus lays out from us that come out from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. And I ask you here this morning, do you have the fruit produced by the Spirit, even as Ray prayed for us before, 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Or do you have the fruit that Jesus gets at here? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Or do you just have the externals of religiosity as your priority? Because the Pharisees look good. Pardon me. The Pharisees look good. They tried to look good on the outside, and yet they had no concern for the state of their heart before God. Are you trying to look good before others, and yet neglecting the state of your heart? Do you look good on a Sunday, while the rest of the week your mouth runs like a freight train over everyone it comes across, or like a sewer as it, as it spews out filth? Do you add any laws to God's and treat them more highly than God's commands? Do you praise God with your lips and yet your heart is far from him? If this is you, repent. Repent. But if this is the consistent, habitual pattern of your life with no repentance, with no sorrow over that sin, then the Bible's witness is that you are not saved. If this is the habitual, consistent pattern of your life with no repentance with no sorrow over your sin and no good fruit Christ's witness is that you are unsaved your mouth and your life speak for your heart this is so important your mouth and your life speak for your heart and it is your heart it's what comes out that defiles you before God you stand unclean before God but Isaiah 1 verse 18, it says, Come now, God says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God says, come now, let us reason together. He says, think this through. He offers this cleansing from sin. Your sins, though they stain you like blood. As red as blood does, God can wash you whiter than anything you can imagine. Though they defile you, God will cleanse you. God makes sinners clean in Christ. In Zechariah 13 verse 1, it says this. There shall be, and this is talking about the future, it says uh, there, at, at the time of, of Zechariah, it, it, it pictures Christ in the future. It says this, There shall be a fountain open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is speaking of God's people here, that this fountain shall be open for. It is not a closed fountain. It is an opened fountain offered to them. What does it offer? It says to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. From sin and uncleanness. The thing is, all the washing of their hands... All the washing of their hands. And these Pharisees loved to wash their hands for so long. More than the 20 seconds required by COVID. They went for 30 seconds. And yet, that did not cleanse them from sin. This fountain that would be opened up. And it is talking about the, the washing that Christ provides. As he shed his blood on the cross. And that is what we are seeing even this morning in our hearts. Even as Danny reads out the hymns for us, this cleansing 
this washing that is done by Christ. As we saw um, a number of weeks ago with, with, with the baptisms of Tare and Narane, we, we saw that there's a washing of regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He unites us to the work of Christ. He gives us this fountain that is opened up and he unites us to Christ and his work. He cleanses us from every sin and uncleanness. You know the one in Psalm 24 who can ascend the, the hill of the Lord, who can stand before God in his holy place? Ultimately, it's only Christ. He is the only one who has had clean hands, clean hands and a pure heart. He is the only one who has not lifted up his soul to what is false or spoken deceitfully. He is the only one who is undefiled before God. He is the spotless Lamb of God. It says that he is without blemish or spot. He is innocent, undefiled, unstained, separated from sinners, as it says in Hebrews. And he is the only one who can make you clean. The only reason that we as Christians can stand before God with clean hands, spiritually speaking, clean hands and a pure heart, is because we're in Christ Jesus. God makes sinners clean in Christ Jesus. But I want you to note as well that it's so important to realize that as Christians, our sin starts in our desires. And this is so important in our fight against sin. Because if you just see sin as, as actions that we do and actions that are to be modified and maybe gotten rid of, it Fighting sin is just about behavior modification, but it's not about just changing what you do. It is about the heart. It is about what the heart. For it's about what you just do, then it's about what goes into your mouth. But it's what comes out of your mouth that Jesus said. It's about the heart. If you just try and change your behaviors then inevitably when sin starts as your desires, you will not be putting it to death in its infant form, in its small, minute, starting form, until it is fully blown. And then when you try and get it, when it is fully blown, you are fighting it something which is ten times harder to fight. And as a Christian, you will recognize this happening. An outward temptation comes across your path a sinful outward temptation, and you will feel that tugging of your heart, that tugging of your heart. It's like a fish swimming in an ocean, and then suddenly it sees this bait, this hook, and it doesn't see the hook, it sees the bait, and it, it, it allures that fish, and that fish suddenly wants that bait. It's like that sinful tugging of your heart, those desires, when it sees this outward temptation. The bait promises great things, and yet it delivers death. It delivers death. As it says in James 1, sin, when it is fully conceived, gives, uh, gives um, birth to death. So when you feel those sinful desires in your heart tugging, tugging at you, your conscience nagging you, that conscience, conscience saying this is not right, puts into death right then and there. Puts that sin to death right then and there. Remove yourself from that situation immediately. Don't play with that sin. Send up a quick and earnest prayer to God for help. Stop the small spark from going and growing into a fire. 
Sin starts in the heart, and that is where we must start our fight against sin. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. But next we will see in verses 12 to 16, the heart of the Pharisees. The heart of the Pharisees. Read with me again, verse 12 to 16. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. These religious leaders were false teachers who showed that their hearts were defiled. They were the perfect case study. They were the perfect picture of this heart problem that Jesus is talking about. Even though their hand washing was impeccable, their hearts were unclean. Jesus brings out six important truths for us to see about these false teachers, these Pharisees. The first is that they were offended by truth offended by truth. In verse 12, Jesus' disciples came to him, and it seems like there is a break in time between verses 11 and 12, and we actually see this in Mark 7, 17. It says that, that, that after Jesus and his close disciples enter the house, and this is when they asked him these questions. But what, are these, what do these disciples say? Did you know that the Pharisees, Pharisees were offended by what you said? Firstly, they should know Jesus character and his power they should know that jesus knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart it says that jesus knows what is in man they were filled with unbelief about who jesus was in his power do you know jesus of course he knows but second the, the, these pharisees are offended and, and possibly the disciples too because Jesus had despised their washings as not only meaningless, but as contrary to the word of God. Because it was the way they did it. And it was the reason for what they did it. Is it wrong to wash your hands? No. But is it wrong to be legalistic and teach what you want as the commandments of God? Yes. They were offended because Jesus had implied that their hearts were rotten to the core. The root of this pride, at the root of this, of this offending, this offending of them was their pride. Was their pride? Jesus said they were wrong and they were defiled. This word offended there. I'm going to say that word, that original word, and you're going to hear an English word, scandalizo. It was a scandal to them. This plain teaching of Jesus that we may accept, this was a scandal to them. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says that Christ and him crucified, what is it? It's a stumbling block to Jews and, and foolishness to Gentiles. That word there, stumbling block, it's the same word. Christ is a stumbling block to Jews. And we see that Christ is an offense to Jews. And it's likely that Jesus' disciples here feared what the Pharisees thought. They didn't want Jesus to speak so bluntly. If they'd known, if they hadn't feared the Pharisees, they wouldn't even have cared because they know that the truth 
even spoken in love and nicely. And you may have found this. You speak the truth in love and it still offends. The truth offends. And if you attempted to water down the gospel, and I with shame say that this has been, I have done this at times when I'm trying to tell someone about Christ. There's that little ashamedness in your heart as you as you as you as you trying to speak the gospel and maybe this is just me but but you're trying to speak the gospel and then you think a part of the gospel they might think you're silly when you say it oh maybe they don't need that part of the gospel and you feel silly what will they think of me when I say it you're tempted to shy away from certain truths because they're silly or or maybe they and all their intellectual brilliance won't accept the terms of the gospel the gospel is scandalous. It's an offense. Don't do it. Don't water down the gospel. Let the offense never be because of you. But if, you're me- if the message of the gospel doesn't offend then when you tell it, then maybe you're telling it wrong. It should be a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And this is the first thing Jesus wants us to see, that false teachers will be offended by true biblical teaching. Secondly, they are not from God. First part of verse 13, they are plants which God has not planted. Speaking of false prophets in Jeremiah 23, it says this, uh, God says this, I did not send these prophets, these false prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from the evil way and from the evil of their deeds. God did not send them. They were false prophets. They were false leaders of God's people. God did not send them. And God loves his people. And you know what he hates? He hates it when there are leaders, false leaders over his people who lead his people into error. He detests it. He absolutely detests it. And later in that chapter in Jeremiah 23, God says he is against them and he will punish them for their sin. Next, what do we note? That they will be judged and their end is destruction. Second part of verse 13, it says, they will be taken up by the roots. They will be rooted up. It's like someone grabbing hold of a plant, not just pulling out the top of a plant, which ends up being useless, but, but actually digging down deep to the roots and making sure that you root up that whole plant, getting every little last bit. Matthew 3 verse 10 says, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. That is John the Baptist speaking about Christ. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, notice the connection, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It all comes in together. And only those plants of God's planting will survive judgment. The weeds that are sown by the devil on that final judgment day, they will be rooted up and cast into unquenchable fire. Have a look at verse 14. Both will fall into a pit. And we'll look at the rest of that verse in a second. But both will fall into a pit. This is their end. Destruction. And all who follow them will follow them into destruction. 
If you are here and you are following, yes, you may follow many good teachers. But if there's any false teacher that you just like the sound of because they're so encouraging, don't do it. Don't do it. Because you're only endangering your soul. You're only endangering your soul. It does not matter if they say some truth. If they are preaching falsehood and heresy consistently, if they, if, they are false, if they are preaching falsely consistently, then they are not to be followed. Why? Have a look with me. As Jesus said here, next, they must be avoided at all costs. Verse 14, leave them. Leave them alone. Don't even go near them. Don't mess around with false teaching. Don't play with fire or you will get burned. Why? Next thing Jesus says. Fifthly, they are blind to the truth. Verse 14, they are blind guides. They are blind guides. Do you want someone who is blind to lead you? They've never seen. They are blind and they've never seen. Do you want them to lead you? And let's say you're picking out a diamond. Do you want to ask them to pick out a diamond for you? No. No. You do not pick someone who is blind to lead you. Why would you follow someone who does not know biblical truth and the very power of it in their lives? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? They are blind to the truth. Jesus says, avoid them. And next, sixthly, they will lead you astray. They will lead you astray. We have this picture here which is translated into common, common usage. The blind leading the blind. And many people say it. But it's here particularly true of biblical truth. If you do follow them, expect to be led the wrong way. You will be blind to. You will be blind to. Those who follow false teachers wholeheartedly indicate that they themselves are likewise blind. Jesus says God hasn't sent them. They are easily offended. They will be judged. Avoid them at all costs. For they are blind and they will lead you astray. Why? Because their hearts are defiled. Their hearts have not been washed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the truth. Follow sound, faithful leaders in Christ. Rejoice in the light of truth and seek to guard your heart for the glory of God and the good of your own soul. Put your sinful desires and words and deeds to death and ask God to cleanse you through Christ. In fact, if we look at Christ, we'll see here that he's the total opposite from these false teachers. He's the total opposite of these false teachers. Don't follow them, follow Christ. Well, where they were proud and offended, Jesus was humble, still is humble and meek. He did not teach falsehood, but he rejoiced in the truth and he taught truth. He was sent from God. God said, I sent him, I have chosen and appointed him. He was sinless. And unlike them, they, they will be judged for their sin. He was judged by sin that is not his own. And one day he will be the judge of the living and the dead. He will judge those false teachers. 
because he's been raised from the dead. He is the one doing the judging. He is the one doing the uprooting. Instead of being avoided at all costs, he is to be sought after at all costs. We are to run after Christ always, always. He is the truth. He is the way. And far from being a blind guide, he is the only one who will lead us to heaven. Follow Christ. Follow Christ and him alone. For he is the only one who can change your heart by his spirit. He's the only one who can lead us to heaven. Let's come before our God in prayer. Almighty God, you have told us this morning that our problem is the heart. Lord, our hearts by nature are defiled. Our hearts by nature, Lord, are dead in sins. Our hearts by nature, Lord, are filthy. Yet we thank you that your Son has washed us by his Spirit, has washed us whiter than snow, That even though we're red like crimson, we are in your sight white as snow. That the spotless Lamb of God has washed us from every every filth and sin and uncleanness. Help us not to look to our own works. Help us not to add anything to your Lord. Help us not to, to have this external religiosity. But help us, oh God, please, by your grace to have a life that is pleasing to you, lived out of the heart as we live by your grace and by your spirit. Help us to walk in the truth. Please continue to work in us fruit, good fruit, by your spirit. And may you give us much grace to do this. Oh God, I pray for any in this building who have been operating under this, this exter- these externals of, of, of religion, Please, O Lord, reveal to them the state of their heart before you. Put a fear of you upon their hearts. Draw them away from their sin. Draw them to Christ in love. And please, wash them by the work of your Son. O God, please, seal this truth in our hearts and help us to be thinking about these truths, that we may listen and understand these truths and meditate much on them. And we pray these things for the glory of your Son. Amen.